0: I want to tell you a story as we're finishing that up. Um, there, there was an airline company that was um, that was disturbed. They had a high percentage of accidents and potential accidents, and so they decided they were going to create an all computerized, um, all uh, an, um, animated, um, and completely one hundred percent programmed plane. So they didn't have a pilot. It was uh, like one of those unmanned drones, except there, there was people on it. And uh, it was completely uh, run by a computer. And so uh, they figured that if they could guarantee that there was going to be no human error in the process, that uh, people would feel safer, because their numbers had dropped, and the number of people that were flying their airline. And so uh, there was a kind of a robotic voice that came on the PA system before they took off. And it said um, this. "It said." It may interest you to know that you are traveling in the world's first completely automated and computerized plane. Now just sit back and relax because nothing can go wrong. Go wrong. Go wrong. Go wrong. Go wrong. (laughs) Anybody ever feel like even when you have everything uh, figured out and try to make all the provisions and necessary plans that sometimes things just go wrong? Has anyone ever experienced that before? And and someone said, every day. (laughs) We're going to pray for you, all right, today. Today's your day. Well, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about sometimes what happens when things go wrong. Sometimes when things go wrong in our life, we end up in what I like to call survival mode. Survival mode. And so everything around us and everything that we do and everything that we think about kicks into survival mode. And sometimes we never make it out of survival mode. Sometimes we're in survival mode because of something that happened three years ago. And we just stay in this perpetual cycle of just surviving, just getting by. I know some adults that have been in survival since they were 15, since they were 14, because they had difficult, traumatic things happen to them and they got stuck in survival mode. And even though there's nothing that they need to worry about much anymore, they're still stuck in survival mode. And so that might be you today. You might be stuck in survival mode. And I can promise you this, if it's not you today, you know somebody that is, somebody in your family, somebody close to you. And I can promise you that things are going to come in your way and come to your life that's going to want to put you in survival mode. Your natural instinct is going to be to respond to uh, adversity with going into survival mode. And so I want to teach you today how to come out of survival mode. The biblical steps, but they're practical steps. How many of you know the Bible is practical? I love what David Wagner says. He says, if it's not practical, then it's probably not spiritual. Because spiritual things should have practical results. Come on. So these are good practical steps for you to get out of survival mode. Because oftentimes what happens in survival mode is we open up our peripheral vision. And we begin to pay attention to all of the things that are happening to us, have happened to us, or could potentially happen to us. And we're so worried about everything around us. And about what may come our way, we become so paranoid and so worried and full of anxiety about what could come our way that we just stay here and we never take steps forward and advance anywhere because we're so worried about keeping our little circle safe and keeping everything just afloat and barely getting by. And so while the Bible describes our life as a race that we're running, And how many of you know if the race that you're running keeps you here and you never take a step forward, that that race isn't going to be very interesting to watch. And it's going to take a heck of a long time for you to reach the finish line. Right? That's common sense. But some of us are running the race of life and we haven't taken many steps in years because something happened to us and it kicked us into this natural instinct called Survival. And it might, your survival and the way that you're surviving might look something like this. Ready for this? All right. Better empty my pockets. No, can't empty that one because it's got my wallet that's falling apart. No, you won't get far. There's not much in it. (laughs) You're not supposed to be seen today. Oh. I've gained a couple since I wore this. Now, in the last service, I put this on backwards. And the stunt that I'm getting ready to pull made the person very nervous considering they saw me put this on Backwards. But I got it on the right way. You think my team could have done this for me? Some of you know there's nothing comfortable about being in survival mode. It's not here today. (laughs) If there was a big buck here today, it would be in trouble. course, he would have a lot of time to get away. See if I can get this on right here. not working out good. There you go. Now, I could continue, but this is getting pretty annoying. And for the really, really sissy hunters a cushion for your rear end right so this is how some of us live our life looks ridiculous but in a life that's meant to be lived dressed like you we're scared to death that anybody will see us scared of what would come up on us. We got a knife strapped to our leg, got a grenade on our hip, because of what we've been through. And we're in survival mode. I'm gonna survive. I'm gonna get by. You know what happened to me three years ago, don't you? You know what happened a year ago, don't you? It's gonna happen again. I can't take a step forward in my life. I just have to maintain what I've got, protect. I just want to make sure that everything here is going to be okay. I know that God's saying that we're running a race. I know that God says that we're more than conquerors. I know all that. But in my life where I'm at, you don't understand. I've got to keep this protected because I've been through a lot. So I'm going to keep this here. Lower this down so you can't get as much skin. David wrote about this. Psalm 143, David describes living in survival mode. He says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. Speaking of faint, my heart within me is dismayed. This is a man in survival mode. You might say, well, this is David's fault. It's not a matter of whose fault it is. You could have caused the very thing that puts you into survival mode in your life. You could be the very reason. You could be 100% the person to blame for where you're at. And God's not looking at why you're there. He's looking at getting you out of survival mode. And David's describing his condition, and he's saying, I, I'm in this dark place. My enemy is run, is running after me. I'm scared for my life. God, get me out of this. I'm in trouble. Don't judge me, but I'm in trouble. I'm stuck in a cave somewhere hiding, protecting what's mine. I just want to live another day. I just want to survive. There's nothing about advancement in David's cry here. There's nothing about uh, improving his life or in going forward with the kingdom of God. Nothing here. He just wants to survive. He just wants to live. It says this, For God, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and I consider what your hands have done. David stops for a moment in the middle of describing this situation, in the middle of describing the mentality of survival and the life that he's living, in the middle of describing him just barely trying to maintain. He stops for a moment and he says, but I remember the days of long ago. I take time out to remember what you've done in my life. I meditate, I think about your works. And it says, and I consider what your hands have done. This is a powerful scripture here because he stops in the middle of survival. I want to tell you this, something has to stop you in the middle of survival mode. You have to stop yourself for a moment and remember when God has bailed you out before. You have to take a pause for a moment. I don't care if this hole is deeper than you've ever been before. You have to stop for a moment and say, God, I know your plans. I know your promises. And I know that you've done something for me before. I consider the works of your hands. I meditate upon your works. I think about your promises, what you've said for my life, the dreams and the visions that you've given me. I think about those things. Surely you don't want me stuck here. And for a moment, David, he zeroes in on the real prize. He focuses in. He he makes the most important thing his target. He zeroes in on the most important thing, and that is remembering the promises of God over your life, remembering what he's done for your life, remembering who he is to you, remembering what he's promised for you. That's what David does. He stops in the middle of all this. And he remembers those things. And I, I have a demonstration I'd like to do. And this will stick with you for the rest of your life. I want to, I want to show you this. But I, I love the, uh, the movie, um, um, The Patriot. Love The Patriot. Also love Braveheart. There's something about Mel Gibson and those epic movies that I don't know, I just love. And I love The Patriots, one of my favorite movies. And I could watch the scene over and over again, even though it gets pretty bloody and graphic. It's so crazy how important that the love of a father is when somebody messes with his babies. And if you remember what happens with Mel's character in the movie, there's a, there's a, there's a scene where the, the British come and they, they, they're upset because Mel was taking in wounded soldiers. And um, he wasn't trying to take side, but he was taking in both British soldiers and American soldiers. He was taking them both in because they were wounded, and the battle was not far from his house. And there's this very, very cruel um, British general that comes, and and he he comes to the door and realizes that there's both American and British, and he orders his men to kill all the American soldiers that are wounded there, and which which was a you know which was something they're not supposed to do in war. And and he he gets a hold of Mel and one of he he decides to take Mel's old Oldest son. And he's dragging Mel's oldest son off, chained up and uh, away from him. And, and Mel, you can see on his face, Mel's character is so upset. And he's, he, he, years ago, that he was just an animal on the battlefield, just crazy. And Mel's second oldest son goes running after the guy who took his brother. And he turns around, and he shoots him, and he kills him right there. And Mel watches, holds his son as his son's dying his second oldest son, and his oldest son is being dragged off. And he had promised he wouldn't go to war. He promised that he didn't want to be a part of it. But it so angered him that he grabbed his two kids, his two younger children, little, little young boys. And he, they went off into the forest. And he decided he was going to ambush that platoon that had his boy and free him. And he grabs his two sons together, and he brings them, there, and they're behind the trees, and they've got the muskets, and they're quivering as a little boy would. And he says, what did I teach you, boys? What did I teach you? And he, they go, aim small, miss small. Aim small, miss small. It's one of my favorite parts of any movie I've ever done. And he says, aim small, miss small. Aim small, miss small. And he tells him to pick something small, aim at something definitive in the distance. And I, I, I know this is hard to believe, but I was a kicker in high school. And uh, on the football team, played soccer for years and then decided to kick on the football team. I don't look like a kicker right now, but trust me, I was. And and my kicking coach would say, don't aim for the center of the goalpost because there's nothing to aim at. It's just an empty spot. He used to say, pick something in the distance. It could be a cell phone tower. It could be a light in a house. It could be a, a branch of a tree, but pick something definitive that's in the center of the goalpost and aim at that. Because if you aim at the width of the goalpost, you're just kind of hoping you're going to put it between. And so you would say, pick something. And so what, what Mel was talking about in this movie is he was saying, I want you to find one small thing and I want you to aim at that. It may not seem significant, but I promise if you pick one thing and you aim at that and you block everything else out from around you and you focus on that one thing, then you'll be successful with the shot. He would be successful with a kick. And so I want to demonstrate that to you because this is, a, this is something that we need to learn that David did here. He focused on that one thing, that one definitive thing that he knew would pull him out of survival mode. So I need a volunteer that really, really trusts their pastor. Really, really trusts their pastor. You do? That was convincing. You do? All right, Frank. We did have lunch a couple weeks ago. Hey, be quiet back there. Just because you don't trust your pastor, Don. Come on, Frank. Come on up here, buddy. Let me just, I'm going to have to move this to the side for a moment. All right. Just to hold on, Frank. Just let me present the whole idea to you first. All right, Frank. Um, this is an apple here, so I want you to hold this just for a moment. I'm not going to do anything. I won't do anything until you're okay with it, okay? All right, so come with me. I like that hat, by the way. Thanks. I didn't, we didn't plan this, but uh, you kind of do look like William Tell a bit, you know. <laughs> all right, we're going to do this. All right, Frank, th- just trust me on this. First of all, I want you to see the shot I took earlier that is probably hard to see back there. But I'm going to turn it sideways so you guys can see it. That was the first service. That was my warm-up shot. All right? And then here's the shot I took with a pastor from Alabama that was visiting that held the Apple. Not bad, right? So come on up here, Frank. No cell phones, okay? I practice this almost every day. Frank, come on up here. You can check out the Apple. You can believe me. Come on, Frank. I wouldn't hurt you, Frank. Frank. Plus, if you don't do this, my whole entire sermon is going to be wasted, all right? Now, what I want you to do, get over here. Can you get on your knees? Just go ahead. Just get on your knees for a moment. Surely the Lord won't take you home when you're on your knees, you know what I mean? What? You can pray. Go ahead, because i got to get ready. Potentially, what's the last thing you want to look at? (laughs) 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 Cell phone, eighth row, purple, down. I think the knees are the least of his worry right now. <laughs> Frank, just get on down there for a moment. It's, it's easy to take out. You even think this is a bad idea, don't you? All right, just hold it up in front. We won't do it by your head. I don't want to do it by your head. Just hold it with your hand. Can you do that for me? Yeah, but not with your hand behind it because the arrow is going to go through it. Can you hold it by the stem? Yeah, in front of the target, so you give me something to hit. Yep, down, to the left, up a little bit. You're not really, can you see? Are your glasses okay? There you go, right there. All right. I'm just kidding with you. I'm not going to do this. (laughs) Give Frank a hand. (laughs) Frank, you did trust me, though, I got to admit. And you get an apple, all right? But I am going to fire this thing, because I want to show you this. So this is a peep sight. And this little peep sight here, it narrows down what you can see. It's like a mini version of blinders on a horse. It narrows down what you can see, and you can only see, you see how big that peep sight is, that black peep sight? It's about the, what are the diameter of a ballpoint pen, maybe smaller. And you line this up with a green dot on the front of this and put that on what you want to hit. So my, what I see when I'm looking through this is so narrow and small. It's very limited. You could come up next to me, and you could be doing whatever you want. You could be throwing things at me as long as you didn't hit me. I wouldn't know it because I'm just focused on one thing. The trees could be rustling around me in a tree stand, and I wouldn't see the leaves falling. The world could be crashing down on me, but I've got my left eye closed, my right eye open, and all I'm focused on is that little peep side with that little green dot. And if I do this right, it should look like this. Now you can use your cell phone, Chelsea, all right? Doesn't that sound awesome? That's what David did. He narrowed down all the confusion in his life and he focused on one singular thing, one thing. It was God and his promises and what he had done, the works of his hands that's what began to pull him out. David says this, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit falls. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake lord preserve my life in your righteousness bring me out of trouble in your unfailing love silence my enemies destroy all my foes for i am your servant David goes in this chapter from being pursued from being alone from being scared for being all of these emotions that we equate with being in survival mode he goes from that to at the end of this chapter and if you start with uh, verse 1 uh, 144 everything's changed by then but this, this cha- and this one chapter, after he remembers and meditates upon what God had done, the works of his hands, after he remembered what God, the days long ago when God bailed him out, it shifted his mindset. He was no longer going, Lord, just get me out of this mess. He, he shifted his mindset to who God is and what God could do in this situation in his life. And I'm reminded of this, story, this, uh, this verse, uh, this chapter in Isaiah 54. And this is really what I want you to hear. It says, sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, the writer is talking about here, the writer's talking about a barren woman, a woman who cannot bear a child. I think I should take this off because it is hot. And he's talking about a woman who has who, 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 uh, never bared a child before, whose womb is desolate. And this is referring to the church the bride of Christ, and it's also referring to you and I. And he says to this woman, he says to this woman, you, barren woman, the one who can't have any children, why don't you start to sing with shouts of joy? What? He says, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. It's like, It's like, yeah, you got to remind her that she can't have a baby. You know, you barren woman. Then he says, you who were never in labor. But he says, shout for joy. If you read on, listen to this. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cord. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. I mean, this is crazy because he's asking a barren woman who has a womb that cannot produce a baby to make her house bigger and prepare for a child and start to sing and burst forth in songs of joy. And what the writer's saying is saying, based on what you know about God and his promises over you, this is, this, is what's, this is what's happening here. Based on what you know, God's saying, based on what you know of me and what I'm capable of doing in your life, I want you to, before it even comes, to begin to burst out into songs of joy, and I want you to begin to lengthen and expand your tent. I want you to build a baby's room. That's cruel to say to a barren woman. It's cruel to say to a woman whose womb is not able to produce a baby, why don't you go ahead and get the baby's room ready? You have two choices. You can sit there and say, Are you, that's, why would you say that? Why would you? That's so, ter- you know I can't have a baby. Or you can say, hey, my God is capable. His promises were that I would have a family. His promises that that my my descendants will be blessed in dispossessed nations. My, his promises are that they would they would habitate desolate cities. They would they. I, I, I'm gonna trust God here. I want you. I want to tell you where this came from. I'm definitely gonna get out of this now. Because I'm getting out of survival mode. Right. All right. When you see these socks, the whole tough guy. I like to shoot a bow camo stuff is its totally out the window. Yeah, thank you. There you go. It comes off easier. I know. <laughs> Apparently, I'm confused. <laughs> they had to match the shirt, though, so... this is what happened to me a couple weeks ago. For seven months, my wife and I have been in survival mode. I'm just being transparent with you. When our little one was born, for those of you that are guests that have never been here before, we had, a. my wife gave birth to our baby Madeline. She was, uh, uh, 14 weeks early. She weighed, uh, one pound, 13 ounces, went down to a pound and a half the next day. And, uh, she was only 12 inches long. And, uh, We spent 62 days in the NICU, and we thought when we left the NICU that everything was going to be great, bringing our baby home. And it was wonderful because we were happy to have her. But then the real fun began, and we have spent months in survival mode, months, months, and months, months in survival mode. I mean, like, you know, if we had a pair or two of clothing clean, we're doing good. Piles of clothes here and there. You know, if I could get the grass cut, I felt like we were on top of the world. I was just barely keeping up with the grass, but I sure wasn't doing anything to improve things around the house. Just barely holding on. If we could go shopping for the week, we felt like we were we were like conquering the world. It was just been that way. And it, it's been difficult. It's gotten a lot better, but it was really difficult. And we've been in survival mode, and now things are much better, but we haven't gotten out of survival mode. We're just kind of still maintaining. And our circumstances now aren't necessarily keeping us in survival mode, it's this. And so about 10 or 14 days ago, I was looking at our bathroom upstairs. And if you see this bathroom, you have to understand, it was built, the whole house was built, and this bathroom, of course, with it, in 1981. And this bathroom was never changed. And whoever decorated and decided what to put it in 81, which was not necessarily a great fashionable year, wasn't very good at what they were doing either. And it had old 34-year-old linoleum floors. You know, the kind that marks, you know, you can get like a a dent in it just by stepping on it. It had a chocolate brown toilet with an oak wood top with... Corroded bronze hardware. I'll sell it to you. It's still in my garage. There was drop ceiling in a bathroom. I don't know why. A drop ceiling with that frosted like polycarbonate and three fluorescent lights. You felt like you were in a hospital room. And the tub tile was brown. Not a nice brown. And the walls were gray. Let's just put it this way. We didn't even decorate it because we were like, what goes with this? Right? Nothing. And so I was looking at it, and I thought, I've got guests coming in a couple weeks. They're going to be using this bathroom. We're in survival mode. I thought, you know what? I'm going to renovate this bathroom. And so we started this renovation project And uh, I'm doing all the work myself after work and sometimes till two in the morning, (laughs) but I enjoy it. So I'm not complaining. I actually really like it. I've been renovating this and I just finished it. But three days into the renovation, I'm in my bath or in my shower and I'm taking a shower and I don't know why, but God speaks to me in the shower. And, uh, and so I'm in the shower, and the Lord spoke to me, and I didn't even realize that we'd been in survival mode. I, didn't, I couldn't even put words to it. I just knew that we were barely hanging on. And the Lord spoke these words to me, and this is what inspired this message today. But he said, now that you've started this renovation, you're no longer in survival mode. And I was like, I felt this overwhelming sense of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the best adjective I have. Yeah. I came out of the shower, you know, uh, dried off, so don't worry about that. And and I ran, I found my wife, and I said, honey, we're no longer in survival mode. And she was like, what? This is not like something we talked about. She said, what? I said, we're no longer in survival mode. I said, you know how it feels like we've just been surviving and just trying to barely keep up, and if we can just barely keep up, then we are just feel like we're doing good. And, and yeah, we've just kind of been like just locking our arms together and just staying still and trying to not let something bad happen because so many crazy things happen. She's like, yeah. And I said, the Lord spoke to me in the shower and said, now that we're beginning to take a step forward and we're improving our situation, we're no longer in survival mode. And she was like, I feel it. She felt the same thing. And since that moment, it's been about a week that's passed. I've been improving things left and right. I don't even care if it's a scuff on the wall. I, 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 I Last night, like 10.30 at night, I'm putting uh, blinds up. And I put curtains up. And I, and I I, was just like, just go stuff that we had bought a long time ago that I just never did. I have a light that I put up that I've been wanting to put up. I just, like, just wanted to just... Step forward in advance. There was something spiritual about it. I know it sounds silly, but there's something spiritual about it. And and this is what happened here with this, this barren woman in Isaiah uh the lord said is speaking is saying i want you to begin to shout for joy i want you to begin to take a step forward i want you to begin to expand your tent stakes i want you to begin to as if god had already blessed you i want you to begin to my wife got some money. she's like we don't have the money for this i'm like i don't care we're moving forward I'm tired of staying here in this little, what's going to happen next? And is the baby okay? And is this okay? And are you all right in this? I'm tired of just doing this. I want to take a step forward. I want to take a step forward. And, and, And it's so important for you to get this. You guys know what the prize is ahead of us. You know what the goal is. You know what the target is. The world has distracted us. The world has taken us off our game. The world has stopped us in our tracks, worried about what's coming from the left and right. But you've got to put blinders on. You've got to look through the peep sight that is the word of God down there at range at the target and start taking a step forward. Baby, you need to pull back that arrow and let her fly because I'm telling you, God is behind you. God is with you. He wants you to win. He doesn't want you to be in survival mode. He didn't create you to survive. He created you to advance. He didn't create you for survival. He created you for revival. He wants you to go forth, to win souls, to minister to your friends, to accomplish something in your job, to advance your career, to go forward with your relationships. He doesn't want you to stand still. There's something about this life that requires us to move forward. And I want to jolt you. I want to literally, in the spirit, put like those paddles on your heart and jolt you out of survival mode. But I can't do it. I can't. I can make you aware of the condition you're in as the Lord made me aware. God can use me this morning to make you aware of the condition you're in. Realize that you're stagnant and stuck in one place. I can make you aware of it, and I can give you the tools and the direction you need to follow, but you have to do it. You have to take the step forward. You have to sing for joy when there's nothing to sing about. You've got to expand your tent stakes when there's no reason to expand your tent stakes. Come on, you could argue with God and say, Lord, when I'm five months pregnant or five weeks pregnant, I'll go ahead and exp- I'll, I'll, I'll start in the baby's room because I still got a long way to go. No, you need to start now. You need to start expanding your, what God has put in front of you and following the dreams he has for you and step out of maintenance mode, step out of survival mode, step out of barely hanging on mode into advancing the kingdom of God and his purpose and dreams for your life and going forward with him. It's the only way to live this life. Or you will find yourself 30 years down the road in one spot going, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? That's not how God wants you to live. He wants you to live laser focused. It doesn't mean things aren't going to come your way. But when you're not worried about them, not looking at them, and not stopped in one space, you're a lot harder to hit. You know, when you're deer hunting, a lot of times the deer hunters, with, especially with bow, they have to be close, like 20 yards, 25 yards, much more than 30 yards out, and you don't take the shot unless you're just phenomenal. And what they have to do is they have to get that deer to stop. To hit a running deer with an arrow is almost impossible. It's almost impossible. They have to get that deer to stop in one spot. And the enemy works the same way with you and I. He has got to get us to stop in one space. So a lot of times the hunters go, meh. They'll make a noise that sounds like a deer grunt, but it's not one. It's something that's just fake, that in the deer's mind, they think is real. Does this sound familiar? Meh. That's what they'll do. If you watch the hunting shows, you'd know this. And so the deer will be just walking along through the woods, even a slow walk. They don't take a shot. And they go, meh. And, And when they do that, they've already got that arrow on them. They're already ready to let it fly. So as soon as they look up, boom, the arrow goes. And The enemy works that way with you and I. He makes noise through various ways that in our mind, we think to ourselves, oh, my God, that's really something I should be afraid of. It's not something you should be afraid of. It's Dan in the tree who can't hit you if you keep going. He's thinking about cheeseburgers and fries and nachos and filet mignon and lobster. Hey, by the way, I heard that the Harvest House ladies and men had, had steak and lobster the other night. Is this true? You didn't invite me? They didn't want me to stop, apparently. But the enemy does that to us. He calls out our name. He makes us think we should stop and be worried and protect ourselves. When honestly, as long as you're pursuing what, what God's put in front of you and you're taking a step forward, he can't ultimately stop you. He cannot, you are a runaway train towards Jesus. You cannot be stopped by the enemy. The only thing that can stop you is you. And when you stop, you invite the enemy to come. If you watch National Geographic, you see all the animals running together. Which is the one that gets eaten? The one that doesn't stay with the group and stops? As long as you keep going towards what you know is the prize as long as you keep aiming towards what's in front of you as long as you keep remembering who God is and what he wants to do in your life and the promises he has for you and you keep moving forward you cannot be stopped and you won't end up in survival mode and 2 years from now i won't find you in the same place you are today i spent 7 months there it was 7 months too long i don't want to go back to survival mode So many things happened in that seven months between the baby, we had a dog that died, We had an air conditioner at 1130 at night in our second story that basically just started leaking everywhere down into the first story and ruined the carpet. I mean, we had everything that could go wrong go wrong in the last seven months. I promise you, if it could go, our dog died in the most tragic way you could possibly imagine. Worse than being run over. I I don't even want to get into it. it. It was tragic. And it was my wife's like just like first child before we had babies. And if you've been through the death of a pet, you know how that is. And it was like one thing after another. At one point, my wife said to me, she's like, what's next? Just crying. She's like, what what, what do we have to endure next? But I promise you, something changed when we decided we're not just going to protect and just barely get by. And today, I want to leave you knowing that you can be jump-started out survival mode into advancing the way God promised you would in your life. I want to finish this up with Isaiah 54 uh, verse 11. Afflicted city lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, all of your walls of precious stones. All of your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. I love this because it's describing the city that's been lashed by storms and has not been comfort, that, that is not comforted. It's, it's talking about a city in survival mode. And the Bible, I want, this is what I want to leave you with. When you go through this period of your life that I'm describing as survival mode, but it could be a storm, it could be a trouble, a tribulation, a difficulty. But when you go through survival mode and you come out of it the way I'm describing here, by following God's plans for your life and believing and trusting that he's going to lead you out, and taking a step forward. He leaves your life better off than it was before you entered survival mode. This city never had stones of turquoise or foundations of lapis lazuli. The battlements were not made of rubies. The gates were not of sparkling jewels. The walls were not precious stones. It was just a normal city that had some storms come its way. But God says, when you come out of survival mode following me and my plans for your life, what you thought used to be your old normal, and that's what you do. I just want to get back to the way it was. I just don't want to be in survival mode. God's saying, no, I'm not going to take you and just put you back the way you were before. But when I rebuild you, when I take you out of this, when you follow and in faith step out with me, when you expand the the 10 stakes of your house, when you don't even have a child, when you burst forth into song with joy when there's nothing to be joyous about, when you take that step of faith forward based on my promises for your life, I will rebuild your life better than it ever was before. Foundations of lapis lazuli, uh, 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 gates of jewels. That is how God wants your life to be. And that's what happens when you stop living in survival mode and decide to follow God's promises for your life and branch out and take a step in faith, a step of faith, a step when it doesn't look like anyone's going to catch you. Take that step out with him and his promises over your life, and he will rebuild your life better than it ever was before. Stand to your feet. Come on, how many of you just by a show of hands, and, and if it's not you, that's fine, but you, you, don't raise your hand for me. But how many of you would say this? You'd say, I need to hear this today. Yeah. Come on, if that's you. Good. Well, we're in the right church, and this was the right thing to say this morning. Come on, it's time to get out of survival mode. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm coming out of survival mode. Come on, look to your other side and say, I'm coming out of survival mode. Amen. Let's pray. Bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the boldness, the courage. God, to step out of survival mode, to get out of just maintaining. Lord, we realize that your plans and promises for our life are greater than we ever had before. And Lord, if we follow your dreams, we follow your word, we remember what you've done in our life. Lord, we we meditate on the works of your hands, and we take a step of faith out, even when it doesn't look like there's a reason to do it, even when it doesn't look like that we can conceive a child, even when it doesn't look like we need more room. But God, we take a step of faith out and believe with you that you're there to catch us, that God, you will honor it, and that our life will be better than ever before. So we today take a step out of survival mode, and we step into the new us, the new life that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says, Amen. amen.